as I was reading this week, I bumped into this word in the scripture. Unbeliever. We all know what an unbeliever is, I think. And some of the scriptures uh, state, and I'll quote to in a minute, very clearly what an unbeliever is. And this thought, I thought of this before and wanted to look into this. It's just like many of the words in the Bible, they can be used in various places, but the context or the content wherewith it's used determines the meaning of the word. So it's not that the meaning of the word completely changes, but there is a different nuance of meaning in that particular setting. And so let me quote two scriptures from Corinthians. But brother goes to law against brother, Paul says, and that before unbelievers. And when he says that, unbelievers, your first thought is non-Christian. They're not Christian. And, and that's the context of that verse. They were non-Christians. That they're taking brother, is taking brother uh, to court to non-believers, okay, or unbelievers. And then it says, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. Now he's talking about a non-Christian. So I started off and I looked at this word in various places in the Bible, and I want to show you some things, and later on I want to show you what Jesus says uh, related to that. And, you know, when we read the Bible, we'll read a word, and we will apply our thinking of that word, what we think that word means, we will apply that to the scripture and we'll glance right across it and we think we understand what's being said in that verse. And what we believe a word says is not always what it means. Now in the dictionary, I wanted to look, the biblical and the dictionary, regular Webster's Dictionary, meaning of the word uh, believe. It means to have conviction or confidence in. Now, if you'll remember before, I don't know what century it was, but people had, mariners had a convic conviction and they were confident in the idea or the thought or their belief that the world was flat. And so they would not venture out too far. They were afraid of sailing off the end of the earth. Now, just because a person has a belief and they have confidence in that belief does not mean that it is truth or it is accurate. And so the Bible meaning is to be persuaded of, um, to think to be true, and it also means this inner conviction. Now, religions today have inner convictions. You take those that go door to door, they have an inner conviction and they believe what they believe is true. And many of them do not believe what Jesus says, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. 
So is their belief, because they have a conviction of that, and because they believe that their belief is correct, does that mean that it lines up with biblical truth and the truth that Jesus taught? Not necessarily. So I can believe one thing, and I can have conviction in that, and it can be off base. It can be incorrect. Even as a Christian, I can be so strong and have, be of conviction in something and it not line up correctly with the words of Christ. So ultimately, what we believe must line up with the word of God. That's the standard. That's the standard. Now in, um, well, let me say this. The Pharisees, they had inner conviction. Okay, they believed based on what? See, they believed what they were doing and how they functioned was correct based upon one thing was the law, the Sabbath, and, and all of that. But Jesus said to them that you love the uppermost seats in the synagogue. So there, there were Pharisees who believed in their belief of being heard, of being seen, desiring. You know, and they were believing in their desires for the uppermost seats in the synagogue. And Jesus came to them. And see, they had conviction. But see, their conviction was not correct. And there's a scripture, I want to read this. Paul says this, and he says it to Timothy. He says, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So even though Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and even though he had this inner conviction, I am going to fulfill the law, I'm going to do this, I'm going to follow these traditions, and I'm going to do all these different things. He says that his belief was unbelief. He says, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So Paul, who had the essence of the word belief, inner conviction, he says that he was in unbelief as a Pharisee, as a Jew. And so what he had this inner conviction of or in was incorrect, and it did not line up with the Spirit of God or with what God had set up. He thought it did. The religious leaders, the Jews, they all thought it did. So just because he believed it, and he had inner conviction in that, did not make it true. Did not. Now let's turn to 2 Corinthians. The, the Pharisees believed in their belief of the law. And Jesus says, But ye believed not. That's what he told them, the Jews. He says, You believed not because you're not of my sheep. So even though they had this inner conviction in their, their mind and in everything in their being says, I believe this, 
I have an inner conviction of this, yet it was not correct. And Jesus said, clearly, he said, you do not believe. You do not believe. And in 2 Corinthians, I want to show you this because the, the context of this, we'll look at it in a second. Many times the context determines the meaning. So if I go to a scripture and I just read the verse, I may catch the right thing there or I may not. I might believe in something as I see it, but that does not necessarily mean that it's going to line up with what is there. So I a lot of times look, especially when I'm, I'm going to teach on something, I look at the context of what's being said because the context or the setting is going to determine what certain meanings there of the words, what they mean. Because as I said, words have different nuances of meanings. And so this is a very familiar portion of scripture here in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Now, I'm not saying in this verse that how we've uh, interpreted that this is wrong, but I do want to show you something in here. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And the initial thought is a non-Christian, those that are non-Christian, and that is true. That's the main view of this scripture, and when he goes on and continues about talking about um, you know, light and darkness, he, he's showing the contrast between a believer, or put it this way, a Christian and a non-Christian, but you know, a, a Christian can be in darkness too. See, so there's, there's, there's another application to this. Now the context of what Paul says here about being not unequally yoked with unbelievers, look at uh, verse one of chapter six. We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So the context of this is the grace of God. And as you move down along the chapter, Paul talks about these different things that uh, came out from his ministry. And see, that's a direct result of receiving the grace of God. So let me ask you this, can a Christian frustrate the grace of God? Paul says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. The word frustrate means to take it and set it aside. Can a Christian take the grace of God, something that the Lord is bringing to them, take that and set it aside? Yes, yes. Uh, for example, if the Lord would bring his grace to someone to go to the mission field or to be a missionary in another country. A person can take that and receive that, or they can take it and set it aside. And Paul says, I do not do that. I do not frustrate the grace of God. I don't set it aside. But a Christian can do that and you know, take what God is bringing to them in their personal walk, in their personal life, and set that thing aside. And I remember years ago, the Lord called me to teach, and I said to myself, this is not right, you know. I do not want to teach. I didn't think I could teach, and 
you know, all that. We, it's what we do. And, and so I had a decision in my inner man to make, and I knew it. And I was either going to believe God and trust God and receive his grace to do whatever it was he was putting before me to teach. Or I could have said, no, I can't, I'm incapable, I can't do this, Lord, forget it. And I could have taken that grace for my personal life and set that aside. See, so we all can do that. And certain things God brings become more difficult to not set aside. So Paul says this. So with that thought, as I said, the grace of God, the grace in his ministry to do what God was calling him to do, then he goes on and he says, be not unequally yoked together with unbeliever. If I take the grace of God and I set it aside, I frustrate that, then I become not an unbeliever as being a non-Christian, but I become in unbelief related to what God wants to do in my life or whomever, you know, sending them as a missionary. See, now I am in unbelief. Not a, it's not a, I'm an unbeliever. I'm in unbelief. So in verse, well, he goes on, um, I will dwell with them and walk in them and, and so forth. We're not going to continue with that. But anyway, the critical thing about unbelief, as I said before, it's the content of what is not believed. See, the grace of God will come to you, to, to everyone. And it may be easy to receive that in some things, but in other things, especially if you know, there has to be a death to what you want, what I want, a death to self, then receiving that becomes much more difficult. And so we have the ability to receive the grace of God and to follow along with what the Lord is giving us and showing us and so forth. Or we can take that aside and begin to walk in unbelief in that particular area of our life. Now turn to Luke. So unbelief is determined by the content, I'll say it that way, by the content. Well, you know, are you going to go to the mission field? So the content of that, now we have a decision. And what we do with that decision will determine whether we are in belief or in unbelief. Whether we believe that God can do in us whatever it is to accomplish what he's saying he's going to do. Or we don't believe it and we move in our hearts into unbelief. Now, that doesn't mean the person isn't a Christian. It means that they're in, in unbelief in, in some area of their life. They're in unbelief. Now, in Luke 12, now this portion of Scripture here de deals with the faithful servant and the unfaithful servant. And in verse 37, let's go start with verse 36. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their masters when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. So 
their master goes, you know, he could go to the market or whatever, but in this case, he's going to a wedding, and they're to wait his return. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. So there, there's something in the heart, there's something in the spirit where they're watching, they're alert, they're waiting for the master to return. They're waiting for the, the grace to be accomplished here. Uh, Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. Now go down to verse 46. Who is a faithful and wise servant whom his master will make ruler over his house? And then he gives the answer to that. See, in verse um, 43, Blessed is a servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. And what he's talking about is, is uh, giving the portion to those in their appointed time, to whomever, the, the people of God or whatever. In verse 45, in his heart, the servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunken. So when he goes down to verse 46 here, the master of the servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and in an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in, in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Or in the context of this, what Jesus is saying here, this, this is meaning those who were not faithful, the unfaithful. So you have the faithful servant and you have the unfaithful servant. Now, what makes the unfaithful servant the unfaithful servant? See, in his heart, he is not waiting for the Lord, for his master. In his heart, uh, he is not believing because he turns and he says that my master is delaying his coming and now he begins to move in unbelief. He's not believing his master's going to come right then and there. He says this is, you know, going to be later. And so this servant, who was in belief, goes into unbelief in his heart. And that's how I see that. And the unfaithful one becomes an unfaithful one. And I want to read this from the Amplified. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour in which he does not know and will punish him and cut him off and assign his lot with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will uh, but did not get ready or act as, as he wished or would wish him to act shall be beaten with many lashes or many stripes. So he knew his master's will. That's the point. He knew his master's will, and he knew he was to be waiting or watchful. And because of the time frame, because it took a little time, he turns and now he moves in unbelief. Can a Christian move in unbelief? And the answer is yes. So everywhere you see in the Bible this word unbeliever is not necessarily meaning an a non-Christian. It can mean someone who is in unbelief. 
Now, in Matthew, I want to show you something in John, because this really this is what Jesus points out. In Matthew 13, this is speaking of Jesus. In verse 58, Now he did not do many mighty works there, meaning his hometown, because of their unbelief. See, not because that all the people there in his town were non-believers, or they were non-Christian, or whatever you, however you want to say that. It's not that. It's that they did not believe him. They were in unbelief. So unbelief is not necessarily meaning an unbeliever, a non-Christian. It's just someone who is faithless. An unbeliever is faithless. Lord, I can be faithless in what you are calling me to do. We can be faithless. Now, Paul talks about being weak in faith. Uh, but see, if we are weak in faith in an area, God can come in his time. He will. And he will strengthen our faith so that we can move in what it is he's you know, calling us to move in, whatever that is. Now, I want to show you this here because this is very good. In John 10, uh, 20, John 20, 27. I, I was sitting there last night looking at this, and I'm thinking, Lord, <laughs> I felt to teach this. And, and you know, I, I really didn't want to because, you know, when you start to get into some of these things, it's not so easy to see in the Scripture. And I don't remember hearing anyone teaching on this. I mean, I've heard, uh, you know, different people mention, I've mentioned myself about we can be in unbelief. But for me, I like to go in the scriptures and see what's going on. So when Jesus says it, then it really brings my attention to it. In this verse here, in John 20, 27, then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. And do not, do not be unbelieving, but believing. So Thomas here, Jesus says to Thomas that you are unbelieving or you are in unbelief. And of course, the, the context there is the resurrection. He didn't believe the Lord had risen, and he states prior to this that I will not believe until I see him, until I put my fingers in his side and, 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 and his nail prints in his hand. So Thomas did not receive something there that some of the others did, and he hardened his heart, and Jesus says that he was in unbelief. This was one of Jesus' disciples. His disciple was in unbelief, and the setting or the context of Thomas's unbelief was the resurrection. The context determines what it is. And as I said before, a person can be called to the mission field, and the context of their unbelief may not be the resurrection, as we see with Thomas, it may be the mission field, or it may be teaching, 
or it may be whatever it may be that may be difficult for the Christian. And instead of moving toward the Lord and trusting him and receiving his grace, they set that aside. And we know of stories of people who have done this, where they were called to the mission field or, or whatever, and because of various things, they take the grace of God and they set that aside. And they do not do that. They don't go in that. And, and what happens is they are in unbelief now. And, of course, that's not the total end of the picture. The Lord can break through and change that. Uh, but most of the time, if a person believes or has this belief that they are right, if they have the inner conviction that what they believe is right, what's hard to, to move that? You know, Jesus tried it with the Pharisees and had limited success. So being cemented into something, excluding the Spirit of God, is a very dangerous place because he's the only one who, who can break through and cut through that which is holding a person there and show them that that is unbelief. Now, Thomas... He might have known he was in unbelief, but he just didn't matter because he didn't believe it. When somebody doesn't believe, if you run into someone in the world who isn't a Christian, and you, you know, witness to them, you, you know, unfold the gospel to them, and they don't believe, what can you do? The Spirit of God may be upon you to share something with them, to give something to them. I had an individual that I worked with, and the Lord had me say something to him, give something to him, and he totally rejected that and started to mock me on the work floor, and I just smiled because I was enjoying it. I guess I'm weird, but I was enjoying it. And here, the grace of God was there, but see, it could not break through his unbelief. Now, we understand that with the non-Christian. But how do you think that works with the Christian? It's the same. If I am set in my belief and I have inner conviction, well, I better make sure it lines up with the Word of God and with, with what Jesus says and with what the Spirit of God is doing or wants to do in my life personally. Because if it doesn't, I can be moving in unbelief. And so I, I was just thinking about this, and I'm thinking, Lord, how many people, Christians, in churches, oh, they're saved, they'll go to heaven, but how many of them sit there in unbelief? See, because just having inner conviction about something and believing something doesn't mean it's true. Paul said he was a Pharisee, as I said before, and he said, I did these things ignorantly and in unbelief. And he was believing that he was right. He was believing with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind. He believed. He had inner conviction. But yet, he says, I did it in unbelief. Well, now the Lord turned the light on in his life. And he saw, oh, that all that I did there was in unbelief. But the sad part is, 
that the Lord cannot turn the light on with some of his people sometimes. So this, this walk, that's why, you know, to be saved is, we know, coming to Christ or however you want to say that. But Paul says this, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians 1, and he says it in 2 Corinthians in the first or second chapter. And he said, makes this statement, and, and I actually went into the Greek and look at that because I want to make sure that how it's being translated is, is what the Greek is saying. And he says this, he says, we are saved and we are being saved. Well, actually, he says, he, he uses the term, we are being saved. And I'm saying, well, who's he talking to? He's talking to the Corinthians. Were the Corinthians saved? Yes, they were saved. So now he's telling these people who were saved, they were Christians, that we are being saved. Let me read this. I know where it is here. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's a present participle. And so we are saved, but yet we are being saved. See, that's all part of salvation. Salvation, in this country, salvation means, you know, coming to the Lord. That's salvation. But the word itself means deliverance from in the Old Testament, which, is, you know, I was going to actually look at that another time maybe. But the word salvation, it, it includes initial salvation, but it also includes the salvation of God, the deliverance from sin that he accomplishes in our lifetime after we become Christian. That's part of the salvation of God. And so Paul says here that we are being saved. And you see in another portion of scripture where it says that work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, what's that all about? Well, it's because that's in this other area of being saved. So in this whole thing of being saved, you know, we can be in unbelief in something. And that's why, you know, we have to work out our own salvation. You know, I can't convince you of anything. You can't convince me of anything because we all think we're right. Isn't that true? I mean, unless it's some blatant error. But people think they're right in their thinking. That's why they think what they think. But, you know, all these chemicals that flow together in our brain that make thoughts... You have billions of people across the world. And do you know that other people think differently? Everybody thinks a little differently. Well, well, how is the Lord going to bring this together? Well, it has to line up here with the Word, the Word of God, you know, the spirit, what the Spirit of God is bringing, you know, renewing of the mind and all that. So that, that work, work out your own salvation. The Lord will do something in this thing where we are being saved. But if I am so rigid and I do not allow the Spirit of God, you know, to teach me, then I can move into unbelief. And I ask the Lord, I said, Lord, am I in unbelief in some areas? 
I'm, I'm open to a change if that's the case. Now, we read this, this ver, uh, verses that have this word unbeliever, and right away we think it means all non-Christians. And in the context of some verses, it's true. But not in every instance. For example, with Thomas. He says, don't be an unbeliever, but believing. So it makes the, this Christian walk, that's why it says walk circumspectly, walk carefully, because, you know, you have the enemy of our soul, the devil, that's one thing, but we can be an enemy of ourselves. Our carnal nature is an our enemy, but we can oppose ourselves, and Paul says that. I think it was Paul, he says, instructing those who oppose themselves. What's that mean? Well, I can, or you can oppose the very thing that God has ordained to bring this salvation to you in a greater measure. We can oppose that, and people do. Christians do. They don't realize they're opposing themselves, but that's the very na nature, I guess, of some things with the people. In, let me see here. Let me read this. This is another verse. In whom the God of this, the beginning of this is, for gospel is hidden, it's hidden to those who are lost. Now that's clear, right? In whom the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of those who believe not. Speaking of non-Christians. But remember that the God of this world can also blind the mind of a Christian. Is he just going to say, well, I see that scripture. I'm only going to blind the minds of those out in the world who aren't Christians. No, he wants to blind the minds of everyone. So if our gospel is hidden, it's hidden to those who are lost and who the God of this world has blinded the minds of them who believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. See, so the glorious gospel comes to illuminate so that we do not move in unbelief. That's the purpose of the illumination, is to keep us in believing or keep us in faith or faithful, however you want to say that. It's to keep us there. In uh, Matthew, let's turn to Matthew 17. I'll read something from Romans here. Now listen to this. This is talking about Abraham. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. And he didn't consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now listen. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. So Abraham had the opportunity in his, the context of this having a child when his body was dead and, and Sarah's body was dead past the, the uh, time of uh, the possibility of childbearing. He had the opportunity in that context to move in unbelief. He did not stagger at the promise of God through unbelief, so he could have. He could have moved in unbelief as a, as a believer. You see that? I hope you do. Okay. Matthew 17. Matthew 17, 
verse 14. And when he had come to the multitude, a man came to him, this is Jesus, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, and he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Now, who was Jesus talking to? Was he talking to the boy's father? Was he talking to the multitude? Or was he talking to the disciples? Well, as I was looking at this, it seems like he's talking to the multitude, and it seems like he's talking to the disciples. In verse 19, Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast this demon out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. <laughs> he's not talking to people in the world. He's talking to his followers. So in this particular thing, they did not believe Jesus in that. And he says, why, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. You're not an unbeliever, but in that particular thing, in your heart and in your life, you do not believe God can do this, and you are in unbelief. Because you were in unbelief. And he goes on and talks about that. Uh, and I want to just show you, um, let's look at verse 20. So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have the faith as a grain of mustard seed. So what's, what's he talking about with this mustard seed? Well, faith, he's talking about faith is to do something, it's to grow. The, the normal thing for us as Christians is we are to grow, and the normal thing for faith in us as Christians is that it is to grow like the mustard seed. It's, it's planted, and it takes time, it, it germinates, and so forth. The process continues, and then you know, there's, there's faith in whatever particular area that it's to be in. And I want to just read this in Mark, because this is Mark's account of the same thing where this man comes to uh, Jesus. Listen to this. Jesus said to him, this is to the man. So Jesus said something to the disciples. He said, you were in unbelief, right? So this is what he says to the man. Jesus says to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe Help my unbelief. <laughs> Have you ever said that to the Lord? Lord, I believe that you can do this, but help my unbelief. So there can be an area in our heart where we don't believe God. And the only way we're going to get over that is if the Spirit of God comes and does an inner work in us and gives us the true inner conviction to believe. To believe. That's the only way. As long as we don't frustrate, set aside His grace, I believe that the Spirit of God can slowly get in there and work 
and change the heart and change what's going on there. Maybe that unbelief in something. Maybe we believe, but yet there's this area of unbelief in the same thing. Well, that's an area of being saved. That's the area of the salvation of God continuing in our lives. That's the area where the Spirit of God will work. Work at your own salvation. See, all that is in that area. And the Lord is very, very good at what He does if we give Him reign in our life. We give Him, so to speak, the opening to do what He wants to do. How does the Lord help one's unbelief? The man said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. How's the, word, the Lord going to help your unbelief? Well, you may say, well, I don't have any unbelief. Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you don't see it. <laughs> maybe you haven't been pressed in an area to see it. Well, how's the Lord going to help your unbelief? Very simple. Are you listening? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's how the Lord is going to help one's unbelief. So faith will be the result of hearing the word of God. We can't muster this up. We can't say, well, I have this unbelief. Now I'm going to pray and fast and I'm going to yell louder, use the name of Jesus louder and louder and louder until... Faith arises. No, all that's going to do is hurt somebody's ears. Faith comes by hearing. Faith is a result of the Word of God. And in Romans 10, it states, Who has believed our report? The prophet says. Who has believed our report? Well, only those who have received that and believe, and believe. Those that don't are in unbelief. Now in closing, let's all turn to John 9. Now this is um, the man who's born blind. And remember, Jesus heals him on the Sabbath day, causes a big commotion. And so they're, they're... the Pharisees don't believe that the man was blind, and they go and look for his parents. They bring his parents in. They're questioning his parents. They're questioning the man. They're not believing what had just happened. So this is the setting, verse 35. After that whole thing goes on, they take the man, and they throw him out of the synagogue, or they excommunicate him. He's, he's not, you know, done as far as the... Uh, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, are concerned. In verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking to you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees that are listening to this, who were uh, with him, heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, 
you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore, your sin remains. So belief, as you see with Jesus, belief brought vision to the blind man. Belief brought vision. Unbelief keeps a person in blindness, in darkness, and that's what you see with the Pharisees. The Lord wanted to bring vision to them, but he could not break through their unbelief. And so the Lord has his hands full many times with believers because they move into unbelief. And so the Lord will deal with that area of unbelief so that he can break that down and he brings his word, he brings his spirit, all for the purpose of breaking down the unbelief and bringing a person into this belief that they should be in. Faith is the result of hearing the word of God, or belief is the result of hearing the word of God. And I thank the Lord that he works the way he does, and he doesn't just, you know, place us aside. He comes and he spends his time and, so to speak, his energy in trying to break certain things down that shouldn't be there. Thank you, Lord. Thanks.